Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Climate Ready Podcast, where we continue to bring you the latest stories, trends, and perspectives on international climate issues. This is Alex Moroner from the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. I'm joined by my colleague and co-host Ingrid Timbo. Hi everyone, I'm glad to be back for our first episode of 2018. I don't know about you, but for me, the beginning of the year is a great time to reflect back on the past year and also to look ahead at what's to come. I feel like 2017 was a mixed year in a lot of ways, including in our work on climate change. Even as we make strides in the realm of climate adaptation, whether through advancing policy or through more climate-smart infrastructure, we're constantly reminded that we face an uphill battle. Yeah, I know what you mean. Here we are talking about planning for the future, but as we look around, we can see the impacts of a changing climate already. That puts us under real pressure to become more resilient across all sectors and in a hurry. For instance, today we're going to focus on water utilities. These are the groups that provide us with our drinking water and treat our wastewater. They are very directly impacted by climate change. Water scarcity in some places, flooding elsewhere, saline intrusion in others, the list goes on. What efforts are being taken to make sure that these institutions continue to provide us with these services we rely on so heavily? Great question, Alex. And that brings us right to our interview for this episode. We were lucky enough to chat with Davindi Grant, a civil engineer who was part of a Mott McDonald project to develop climate resilience guidelines for water utilities. Her team worked with utilities around the globe to figure out the biggest vulnerabilities when it comes to climate change. From there, they were able to identify actions at both the utility and policy levels that can enable continued success even in a changing climate. Stick around to find out more. Climate Ready Podcast is a product of AGWA, the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, an informal international network of water and climate professionals working to develop, enable, and mainstream climate change adaptation and mitigation practices within water resources management, decision-making processes, policies, and implementation. The Climate Ready Podcast is made possible by funding from the World Bank Group. For more on the World Bank and its role in supporting climate adaptation efforts, visit www.worldbank.org. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Climate Ready Podcast. Today we're joined by Devindi Grant, a policy advisor and project manager in urban infrastructure at Mott McDonald. She's done some very interesting work with water utilities around sustainable development and climate resilience. Devindi, thanks for joining us. Hi Alex, thanks for inviting me. So today we're going to spend some time looking at water utilities, the challenges they face and the ways in which they can work towards climate resilience. Since water utilities is a term that involves so many parts, I was wondering if you could start by giving us a quick overview of what that entails. Well, these are the institutions that provide you with your clean drinking water and collect and treat your wastewater. Um, Some institutions cover both water and wastewater sewage, while in other places you'll just get a utility that covers one or the other. Depending on where you are on the globe, these can take many different forms. You can have a central national level body that runs the water supply for an entire country, or you can have a municipal level organization that looks at it at a city or multiple city scale. 
Um, they can be public sector or private sector. So there's really quite a big variation. And correspondingly, their remit changes. So some just cover all the way from water resources through management, abstraction, treatment, distribution, collection and disposal, while others just cover the sort of distribution and sort of treatment aspects. So it's quite broad ranging. We know that climate change is impacting all sectors and those related to water tend to be the hardest hit. I was wondering what are some of the main and possibly unique threats that face water utilities as a result of climate change? Climate change will impact on utilities in different ways. Most of the work I've done has looked at four main climate change impacts. So drought and increasing water scarcity. So this will affect the quantity and quality of water resources that utilities have, but also how much water other users in the system are using. Increased precipitation intensity. This will impact a lot on flooding of infrastructure, the seasonal um, variability, sea level rise, whether or not especially coastal assets will get flooded, um, whether there will be saline intrusion and groundwater sources um, that utilities have depended on will no longer be viable. And then you get to increase storm surge and coastal flooding, which similar to sea level rise means sort of damage to infrastructure, potential sort of loss of potable water sources and additional infrastructure damage. Within this, you also get direct and indirect impacts. Uh, as an example, uh, Sao Paulo in the drought they had there in 2014 and 2015, they sort of had the triple storm. So they had no water in their reservoirs. So they were having to pump extra water from a neighboring reservoir. They had increased electricity costs um, but because of the hydropower situation, their electricity uh, was at sort of a significantly higher rate. Um, so they had a big financial impact. And at the same time, they were encouraging their customers to consume less because they had such a severe shortage of water. So they were getting less revenue in. So a single event can sort of impact a utility from multiple ways. Well, you've made it pretty clear that there are a lot of potential impacts from climate change that these utilities have to consider. That brings us to an ongoing project that you've been working on, trying to develop resilience guidelines for these water utilities. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing? Who was involved? When did this project start? What's been done so far? Yes. Um, so a team from my company, Mott McDonald, together with a team from the Overseas Development Institute, was commissioned by the World Bank's Water Global Practice in July 2016 to look at global best practice for climate resilience building of water utilities. We were tasked with identifying viable proven options for climate resilient practices in urban water supply and sanitation systems that could be adapted and applied in developing countries. As part of this, we focused on 17 case studies of global utilities in both the developed and developing world. These covered every continent and we tried to get a range of city size, utility type. Um, so we went from Sao Paulo to Scottish Water, um, Wintook in Namibia to Manila in the Philippines. 
I suppose before I offend any utilities that weren't included in the study, I should probably give the disclaimer that these aren't necessarily the best 17 utilities for climate change adaptation, but were selected to capture a range of geographical scale and developmental challenges to help sort of make sure that guidelines would be applicable to the full suite of utilities. Generally speaking, what is the level of concern around these threats when it comes to continued delivery of services for utilities? It was very varied. So there was general awareness about climate change being an issue, but the level of motivation does vary significantly between utilities. The utilities who we saw were the sort of best early adapters tended to already have climate events ongoing. So you had utilities like Perth, Australia and Lima and Peru, where they've noticed gradual but significant shifts and sort of precipitation and glacial melt. And you have other utilities, um, such as those in Belgrade and Sao Paulo, where they had very acute events, which made climate change sort of move up on the political scale and the public awareness scale. I mean, climate is something that utilities have always had to work with. And it's with climate change, it's sort of adding that extra degree of variability to what they're already doing. So it's sometimes saying, okay, we have drought management plans, but we need to relook at how we're doing this because our sort of worst case scenario is now no longer the worst case scenario. Yeah, it seems like that kind of echoes the response more generally for climate change, that climate change is in some some cases a slow onset and, and sometimes abstract concept to people so that it's not at the forefront of their minds and it's not always uh, at the forefront politically either, but it, unfortunately, often it takes these acute events to kind of bring up the need to to address climate change and to remind utilities that you know we we don't want to, but we have to consider this. It sounds like there was kind of mixed motivation within utilities, even though everyone's aware that it is a risk. It's how motivated are you to you know actually actively plan for this and respond to it. Again, if there's kind of mixed levels of responses here, what are some of the ways that utilities have been proactive in addressing climate change? And what are some of the ways in which they lag behind? It was very different for each utility. So there wasn't a sort of single um, practice that we identified. I would say some of the ways they've been innovative is in terms of their planning practices. For example, Setapol, which is the utility in Peru to sort of address uncertainties in future rainfall and migration patterns, as well as sort of glacial reduction. Um, They followed an adaptation pathways approach to their water resources master planning that was sort of in line with the decision tree framework. And it consisted of developing sort of a set of near-term no-regret investments that the utility can embark upon now Uh, But they've also developed signposts for assessing key conditions such as project feasibility and demand conditions that will be monitored by the utility in the medium and long term for implementing future projects and deciding which option and when to implement. So that's an example on the planning side. On 
more the infrastructure side, you have a range of different things. One of the practices we've started to see is utilities using their wastewater as a new source of water or as a reliable source of water. The challenge is climate change is just one of many sort of challenges they're facing. It's between budgets, time, aging infrastructure, capital investment that hasn't been made. Um, and in many places, sort of in the more developing world, even sort of expanding customer coverage for the first time. Of course, long-term stability is in the best interest of water utilities as well as the end users. But I'm sure there's a difficult balancing act when it comes to keeping customers happy in the present while also ensuring the provision of services into the future. How do utilities go about handling this delicate balance? It is a delicate balance between sort of planning for the future and meeting today's needs and getting customers to pay for today's needs. There's often significant alignment between what are climate resilient practices and what are just general good practices. And sometimes it's just changing the intention of why you do them so that they get continued in the future rather than being a one-off event. So an example could be non-revenue water reduction. So a utility could do this for regulatory reasons or financial incentives, but they could also be doing it for resource efficiency as they sort of see their future water resources declining. So they're trying to find ways to save water. But if they're just doing it for the financial reasons, it may not be an ongoing sort of continued process versus if they're doing it for the climate resilience reasons, it will likely be embedded into their sort of long-term plans and will be a sort of continued process or continued activity in their sort of operational plans. You mentioned that your project, you worked with 17 utilities that were kind of selected to, to be a global representation and to represent a lot of different contexts. I assume that's in part, you know, because climate change is, is really such a global threat. It's not limited to a particular city or country or continent, as we all know. I do wonder, though, with each individual water utility having a relatively small sphere of influence, how can you scale up the work you've been doing to increase climate resilience and, and make it more standardized? Longer term, you need a more coordinated approach to climate resilience. One of the things that we saw is many of the utilities were part of networks that focused on sort of resilience, either city networks like the 100 Resilient Cities or utility networks such as uh, WUCA. So that's one way that utilities can connect and share best practice and each utility doesn't have to sort of reinvent the wheel. Other ways are using things like the output of this project, which are sort of guidelines for utilities. Um, one of the deliverables that we've produced is a roadmap for utilities for climate resilience. This is based on something called the decision tree framework approach, which is a bottom-up robustness-based um, climate resilience tool that the World Bank is promoting. And so we took the overall decision tree framework approach and used our research to try and tailor it more specifically to 
the water and sanitation utility context. And so that will be a tool, hopefully, that water utilities can use in the future or consultants or people working for the World Bank and other development institutions can potentially use to help ensure that the projects they're helping to develop are climate resilient. So that's another way. And then a third way is focusing on the policy side. So one of the things we looked at was how effectively sort of international climate policy had trickled down to sort of a national and then a utility level. We found with one or two exceptions, there had been very little um, infiltration down to the utility level. And with utilities, the key influencer is their regulator. So it's really looking at sort of national levels, how you can get the water regulators to start requiring sort of climate change considerations in the planning processes, how they'll allow sort of increases for climate change to build climate resilience, to be reflected in the tariffs that allow the utilities to set, and how regulators can use their influence to help enable utilities to have the resources and thought space to be able to consider these challenges. And I might add, too, that, you know, we just at Climate Ready Podcast had an episode about financial mechanisms, and we talked in particular about climate bonds. So maybe another avenue, too, would be these financial incentives and and mechanisms to promote climate resilient standards for development. You know, like it comes to mind, the San Francisco Public Utilities has issued a climate bond to either improve or, or to build climate resilient infrastructure and water utilities so that that might be just another avenue to scale up resilience is, is through financial mechanisms as well. Yes, I agree. And yeah, no, San Francisco was one of our case studies. So as you started talking about that, I was going, oh, yes. Another way that financial mechanisms have been used are the development of water markets. So Perth in Western Australia, um, the utility there is part of an established water market, which sort of can help promote the sort of water use hierarchy so or make sure that water is used to the most economically and socially advantageous purposes the utility has certain sort of water rights industry has certain water rights agriculture has certain water rights and they can buy and sell water from each other which can help balance out water shortages or when you have periods of drought, it may be more efficient to pay uh, area, a farmer not to use all of their land than it would be to build a new desalination plant. But it sort of lets the market determine what's the best way to use it. So based on the lessons you learned from this experience, would you be able to help identify what are the characteristics of a resilient utility? Yeah, sure. Um, so we think... A resilient utility has four key characteristics. The first characteristic is robustness. Um, So this is robustness in designing plans and systems that can help the utility to achieve their objectives today and under a variety of future scenarios. Then the second one is context awareness. And it's for each utility to respond to its city's climate change needs, priorities, and challenges. 
The third is reflection to allow for iterative feedback of lessons into evolving solutions and improved strategies that can be adapted to future conditions. And then the fourth key characteristic is inclusivity by involving stakeholders to determine which project vulnerabilities, performance matrices, and what are acceptable levels of risk and what are possible scenarios to consider. Inclusivity is probably very important just because so many of the risks that the utilities are facing are outside their media area of influence. They're associated with wider developmental challenges or they require their customers to change their behavior and they can spend a lot of money if they just try and address them all themselves. But you can develop much more efficient solutions by working with the city, working with your customers, working with industry, working with sort of agricultural users, catchment management, those sorts of things. Um, So it's a really important characteristic. What were some of the key messages from your project? The project had five key messages. The first is that climate resilient measures, even incrementally introduced, can be put into practice by utilities with a wide range of capabilities. And these will provide benefits both now and in the future. I mean, the point of this is you don't have to be an amazingly functioning utility to start building climate resilience. You can start from wherever you are on the spectrum and work from there. The second key message is that many of the climate resilient measures we've seen have been developed to address multiple hazards as well as include good utility practice. None of the utilities we were looking at were vulnerable to only one sort of climate change impact scenario. They were all facing multiple. So naturally, they had developed solutions that were also um, help them sort of address multiple scenarios. A third key message is that utilities that fail to consider and plan in conjunction with the urban system will struggle to build their own resilience. Many of the impacts that utilities are facing are outside of their immediate control, so they need to collaborate with key stakeholders in order to develop effective and efficient resilient solutions. The fourth is that national climate change policies and internationally agreed mechanisms are only currently marginally helpful towards building water utility resilience, and you really need water-specific policies, regulations, and learning platforms that will trigger greater resilience practice. And then the fifth is there is still a very real hurdle for many utilities to use climate science in their decision-making process. And very few of the utilities we've seen in the case study demonstrated a capacity for using climate science for the decision-making process. And this suggests that there is still a long way to go in terms of bridging the climate information produced with the needs of the decision-makers at the utility level. And utilities don't necessarily have to do it all, um, and that can be the purpose of boundary organizations. It can also be a potential case or argument for promoting bottom-up approaches like the decision tree framework rather than top-down approaches which rely on climate science just because using many of the variables and parameters that utilities need aren't 
directly produced by the climate models. So they then have to go into other models and other models in order to get the information that utilities need, which can make it harder for utilities to use top-down information or top-down approaches. Yeah, it sounds like there have been a, a lot of good takeaways from this project and a lot of kind of lessons you can share with everyone. But, you know, there's a, there's a long way to go. So this is really just a good starting point. That's all we had for you today, Davindi. We really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. That was nice to chat with you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us. And thanks again to our guest, Davindi Grant, for joining us today. Before we go, we wanted to reflect back on a couple of things we learned from the conversation. At the beginning of the episode, we highlighted the urgent need for developing climate-robust practices within water utilities. Before talking to Davindi, I assumed this work hadn't really begun, or at least not at a widespread level. I was encouraged to hear that a large number of utilities are already practicing climate-resilient measures. After all, sustainability is in their best interest. They know that adapting has to become the norm. Absolutely, Alex. And while it's great to hear about some of the specific actions being taken, like most adaptation efforts, the next hurdle comes with scaling up. Davindi mentioned the need for a more coordinated approach to climate resilience. Globally, these utilities need to strive towards the characteristics she mentioned, robustness, context awareness, reflection, and inclusivity. To get there will require coordination and purposeful decision-making. She outlined the need for networks, for national policy that leads to water regulators supporting and enabling utilities, for certain financial mechanisms, and for specific guidelines and tools such as the forthcoming outputs from her project. We've got the blueprints for achieving resilience. Now it's up to a number of the stakeholder groups to ensure that we get there. Customers need to support sustainable practices and think long-term over short-term. Policymakers need to influence the water regulators that govern utilities. And utilities need to collaborate and share knowledge. They need to work with climate scientists and planners to come up with innovative, resilient practices. At the end of the day, we all rely on these service providers. Their failure will be our failure, and their success will be our success. Well, that's all we have for this episode. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave your comments and reviews. Keep an eye out on Facebook for the Climate Ready Podcast, and join us for our next episode where we learn about some nature-based solutions being applied in Mexico, as well as a new tool for bringing together ecology and engineering. Until next time! Climate Ready Podcast is produced by John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. It is directed and edited by Alex Maroner.